Hi everyone, this is Jessica Chen and you are listening to the Communicating Confidently podcast. Each episode is meant to teach and inspire you to find new ways to level up your speaking skills. Because here's the truth, it's possible and I'm so thrilled you're here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the follow button and share this episode with your friends and family. Now let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Communicating Confidently podcast. Today's topic is all about women leadership in the workplace. And I am joined by two fantastic women, Dr. Jian Zhang and Anne Nguyen Ruda. Dr. Zhang is the CEO of the Chinese hospital system in San Francisco, and Anne is a principal attorney and partner on the executive committee at the law firm Barco Zanko Bunzel and Miller. And we're going to be talking about how and why it is so important for women to think about assuming leadership positions in their respective fields. We're also going to be talking about some of the challenges we face as women, as a minority, and as working moms, the three of us, we all share these similarities and we're going to be talking about it all and some tips, things that you can think about as you navigate your own career, whether you are a woman or a man. We're also going to be talking about why we believe the workplace needs more women. So I am excited to dive into this topic. Let's get started. Hello and hello, John. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello. hello. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to speak to you and your audience. We are so thrilled. And just so you know, we have over 75 people live right now who are tuning in and watching. So let's just kick it off. I'm going to first throw it to Jan. Please introduce yourself, the work that you do. We would love to learn a little bit about you. Thank you, Jessica. Yeah. So I'm Jen Zen, CEO of Chinese Hospital Health System here in San Francisco. And so Chinese Hospital is actually a um, 123-year-old hospital in San Francisco. It's not just a hospital. We have multiple clinics. We also uh, own a health plan, which is a um, managed care health plan. And we work closely with our physicians as an integrated system to um, provide a culturally sensitive and a linguistically appropriate care to our community. I love it. So Anne, love to learn a little bit more about you and the work that you do as well. Um, so I'm, I'm a labor and employment attorney uh, by specialty. Uh, I joined the Bartco firm in San Francisco about, oh, ironically in January 20, just right before the pandemic hit. Um, this has been a, just a great place for me to be. One thing that I it was very special about this firm in terms of the environment was also what the managing shareholder said to me, you know, as we were discussing my transition to the firm and it shows you how people can support women. Cause he said to me, you don't take someone like you and put rules on them. You say, there are no rules. What can you do? So it is something that's always stuck with me. And as we speak today, I'll talk about the mentors that I've had that have just really supported my growth and development. So we really have an international audience here today. And I can confidently say everybody who's tuning in right now care about this topic. Either 
if you're a woman, maybe you have that aspiration to become a leader in your industry. Actually, I'm curious, for those who are joining right now, let us know what industry you are in. Type it into the chat function. As you all know, Gian is in the healthcare industry and in the law industry. I'm in, I guess you can say communications, but I would love to hear from everybody who's live right now. What industry are you in? Where are you, what, what, what field are you um, dialing in from? So to kick it off though, you mentioned this already, Anne. It's having mentors as a good way to elevate your progression in your career. So I want to start with you, Anne. When you started early, many years ago, maybe not many years ago, but <laughs> when you started in your career in the law industry, yeah, how did you approach rising up? Was I'm sure this was something that maybe you were thinking about. How can I rise up in this industry? How did you approach? Was there like a strategic journey or path that you took? I don't know that there's that much strategy, but I think it was more knowing uh, that I wanted to be at the top of the game at some point. That was always my intent. I mean, I've always been competitive. Uh, I sometimes will tease and say this to Jan too. We're the kids in fifth grade with the best binders, right? Because we stayed up all night to make the best binder. That's just who we are as people. So when I started as a young lawyer, I didn't try to look for a mentor in an obvious place. I didn't intentionally go out there and say, hey, I need a woman of color to be my mentor. It was just like, who is going to support me in my growth and development and give me opportunities? And that can come in many different forms. So I started uh, a firm called Crosby Hickey, and my mentor actually was a older gentleman, uh, older white male, who mentored me, gave me opportunities. Then I was very fortunate to move to my next firm, and my mentor there um, is and was Luzanne Fernandez. She's been my mentor for the last 15 years, and we joined this firm together. And then when I got to this firm, I picked up additional mentors. So the mentor bus just grew. And that is what I think was important. And what I would say is be very broad in who your mentors are. There are going to be natural people who are going to give you the right signals that they want to support you. And they can come in all different shapes. Um, colors, genders, backgrounds. So just be attuned to it. I, I, I think that was one thing that has really supported my success is not to have a preconceived notion of who my mentor should be. And not to go at it alone, honestly, right? John, I want to get your thoughts on this. So when you were starting out in your career, how did you think about navigating and eventually getting to this amazing role as CEO of the Chinese hospital systems? Something. I also have mentors and I have many of them. And so it's, it's very interesting as an international student, my situation was very different. I read Jessica's, uh, your uh, story, right? So you were born here, you were introvert and how you, uh, change transformed like now like you know totally a, um, a top leader so to me it's the other way around actually so I was born and grew up in China and so 
I actually believe that um, leadership actually started early at home and at school. And so I was very lucky, actually, that I didn't have parents like other Asian parents tell them that don't talk back. My parents actually allow that. So growing up, I, I was really considered an oddball. And I actually uh, always talk back, always have new ideas and things like that. And when I got to school, I was very confident and I, I got into a lot of speech competition and all those, always the class president. So, so was considered a natural leader in China. And when I came to this country, now English is, was my second language, right? So in a sudden, not just lost that public speaking skill or, you know, and, and actually lost my confidence too. So, and then I was quiet in classroom in UCSF, and then I, I didn't want to speak and, and in any events for a while. So then um, that was kind of difficult for me in a way. Then I always thought that, okay, I'll change my career path. I would be a, a clinician instead of a leader. You can you can see that, huh? <laughs> and definitely, am. That's not not Jen, but I was for a while. I actually literally was thinking that I probably should be just a clinician. So as I uh, work as a clinician, then there are a lot of areas I realized that it need improvement. But only way to make a change is to take on a leadership role, right? Like more so a management position so you can actually change. And so realizing my uh, uh, witness is so what I did. So I moved out of UC Storm and I lived in American family, forced myself to speak English and then also work as an IA research assistant at UCSF and then so forced myself to to talk to professors so I can learn the professional English too. And more so the, the speaking uh, uh, language is not that much of uh, um, uh, writing. Writing was okay or, you know, reading was okay. It's more so of the uh, um, like oral mm -hmm. English. And so I did that uh, for a while. And then um, later on, when I was working as a clinician, I actually forced myself to, to get out of the comfort zone. I took on a consultant uh, a, a role uh, for Gilead Sciences as a speaker. Can you believe it? So I actually <laughs> took as a speaker at the beginning. So I paced myself to uh, work as a community speaker only. That way, so I didn't have to talk to the doctors or the, the nurses, I talked to patients. And then so uh, later on that, I also took on the professional speakers role too. The good thing about that, I love that. I think that make a huge difference because it forced you out of your comfort zone, then you actually uh, have, have to talk, have to speak. And then later on, um, that then I actually got the opportunity to be trained on a yearly basis, because if you're a speaker of Gilead, Gilead will offer training, like public speaking, communication, all those skills. So I did that for over 10 years. I think on the 
kind of like during the process, I overcame that public speaking issues, language issues here. And then so when I took on the first management position, and that's the most difficult thing for a clinician and then for me and for others too. How do you take on the first management position? How do you transition from a clinician or from any just a, a staff into a leadership role, right? So that, really? that, that to me was the most difficult thing. And because two CEOs, uh, our uh, hospital CEO and the medical group CEO interviewed me for three hours keep asking me about my experience uh, for financial management or, yeah. or, or, or management. I told them that I don't have any because apparently this is a first management position I'm interviewing. And I said, but I'm a quit learner and I'm willing to learn. And I learned very fast. And then that wasn't good enough, right? So they kept asking. <clears throat> and then later on, I said, well, if this helps, I started as an international student. I live in an American family, and then I graduated from UCSF, got a job, and I bought a house and moved out. That got their attention. So, so many, I said, well, financial management is all about in and out, the balance, right? So, that, so I got my first uh, um, management position. So for, for those who are, are trying to get on a management position, I think what you really need to do is kind of really find someone internally as your mentor. And so or someone or your department head, you talk to them, say, I am interested in transitioning into a management position. What can I do? And, and a lot of leaders love to to train people or to give them opportunities. And Jan, what I love about your story is the fact that, I mean, there's just so many elements to it and it wasn't the traditional path. And I, I love your focus. I'm a little biased. I love your focus on communications and really realizing that being able to speak confidently and clearly and concisely, obviously these are really important skills. So Anne, I wanna throw it over to you now so John shared her story of how she eventually became a more manager role. But for you, Anne, you know, we all started maybe after we graduated law school, we had to start as an associate, right? An analyst or whatever field we're in. But even in that role, you can already start to have that leadership mentality, right? How did you approach it? I think I always approached it. I mean, one thing that Jan said that you know, I've always admired about her and I try to have as kind of a guiding light for me is do the things that are difficult, do the things that make you uncomfortable. And I always say to people, if something makes you uncomfortable, don't go around it, don't go over it, go through it. So, you know, I, look, I didn't come to this country until I was for we were you know refugees we came to the we left vietnam on a boat we were in a uh you know we were in indonesia and then we emigrated right and so you know the american story the opportunities that america has given me is so important um and so when i you know went to uh, to law school, uh, went into legal practice and became an associate, I knew those early years were training years where I had to learn the craft. But if I was asked to do something, I was always the first person to volunteer. If there is an email sent out, 
and it said, hey, who can work on this project? If the email was sent at midnight, I responded within 30 seconds. I'll do it, right? And as Jan said, I would go into someone's office and say, hey, I, re I was at a big firm because that firm eventually merged with Reed Smith, which is a global firm. My current firm is largely a California firm, although we have people working from other states as well. So when you're in such a large firm environment, you have to stand out. And as Jan said, you cannot be shy. If you want something, you need to go ask for it. So when I was a first year associate and I found this natural mentorship with Clyde Hutchinson, I went into his office and I said, I want to take a deposition this year. I want to work on cases. I want to do real lawyering. Can you help me? Real lawyering. I love that. <laughs> I want to be a real lawyer. And so when he left that firm to go to a smaller firm, he told me, and I said, I'm coming with you. He said, you can't come with me. They can't pay you the same way. And I was like, well, how much less are they going to pay me? And, and he's like, I'm going to have to tell the firm that you want to come. And I said, okay. I took a $40,000 pay cut in 2001 to go work with him in a smaller firm because I knew I would learn the craft. And that $40,000 pay cut was in an investment in my future. Wow. So I think that's one thing that people don't think about early in their career. If you're just chasing what is going to be the highest paycheck, you're going to miss those opportunities to invest in yourself. What you just said, Anne, is what I considered golden nuggets for career success. And, you know, when you were talking, I was scrolling through where people are, um, what industries they're in. And honestly, we have a whole range, which, by the way, we have over 90 people who are watching us right now, which is fantastic. And I love the variety of folks. You know, we have folks and of course, we have folks in healthcare, aviation, um, a lot in health and you know, higher education as well. And I think what you just said is not just, of course, relevant to your industry. I think, you know, this is relevant for every industry. It's being almost a bit strategic of thinking, because a lot of people go with this mindset, whatever will give me the most pay, where can I go for that? But I love your approach of, wait a second, maybe I do have to go one step back to go two steps forward. And you just said it, it paid off for you. Now, I want to open this up again to both of you. And, and maybe I'll start with you again, Anne. So when you think back at how you were able to take that step back. For some folks, let's just assume maybe they're not early on in their career anymore. Maybe they're already maybe mid-level managers and taking a step back would be incredibly difficult to do. So I wanna help folks who are on this call who might be in a situation like that, who want to rise up a little bit, but they can't necessarily take a huge you know, step back to get two steps forward. What advice would you have for them if they're thinking about that? I think if you think about it as taking a step back, then it's going to impact your self-esteem. Mm -hmm. I think you have to constantly be evaluating just kind of where you are. And as you're sitting where you are and with the people that you're with, is that where you want to be uh, in this moment? And if, it's, and if the answer is no, that's not where I want to be. This is not who I want to be. 
then it's like you're planning, right? How do I get there? And if you make a plan, sometimes you have to start at the beginning. And, you know, maybe, <laughs> so one thing is, if I watch a movie and I don't like it, I'll stop watching it. If I read a book and I don't like it, I'll stop reading it. And honestly, if I'm spending time with you, it's because I want to, not because I have to. So that's the approach that I would take. Don't think about it as taking a step back. Think about it as making a new plan, right? You're on this plan and it's not working for you. Or, you know, you went to a restaurant and you ordered this pasta and like you messed up. You shouldn't have ordered the pasta. You should have ordered the pork chop. So you want to keep eating the pasta and ingesting those calories or you want to say, you know what? I'll order the pork chop. I'm going to start over. Is that taking a step back? No, let's just eat something else. A Sorry, lot of I love food. food so. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a huge foodie I like too. That. I love that. People are actually totally agreeing with what you're saying too, Anne. So Jan, what are some of your thoughts in terms of people who are, let's say, not early on in their career anymore, but want to figure out how they can maybe even pivot? How would you want, How would you encourage folks to do that? So I, I really like what Anne said. I think that that's the right way to do it. If In life, if you can do things you like and you're good at that, then you're mostly, you really, you, you, you're blessed, right? That's the great way. But sometimes you're not, right? So you chosen an area that you, you, you started and then you were on certain level, but you find that you hate it or you're not good at it, you're not enjoying it. And so it it's, some for some people say, well, if I take a step back, that's a, a the ego issue, or it's it really then my career. I'm I'm going back. It's going to look bad on my uh, resume. It's not. It's like I think there's different way to do it. Um, for some people, I kind of really on on the other way. I kind of wanted to speak about it. A lot of people likes it to um, to do, or they're really good at. Uh, kind of really make, making changes or take on management position, but it's impossible to, to get it at their current position in a large company. But what people should do is that go into a smaller company, then they will allow you to do more things, right? So like, I, I, I don't even remember when I only wore one hat. I always wore multiple hats. I always did multiple things at the same time. And then one thing is that stimulated me because I, I I need that stimulants like to do different things to keep me going. And also too, then, you know, because when you're on a lower level, you're building the foundations, right? You want to know more instead of a really good at one thing. So for uh, in the larger company, a lot of times you you focus on that one thing. You're really good at it. For some reason, if they have a layoff or whatever happened, then you, when it, you know, when you're looking for a job, you can only look for that area. But if you're exposed, you're in a smaller company, you get to do different things. I have someone work with me for four years, like when, when kind of in a way that even though she was my, the, the marketing uh, uh, coordinator, but she, I got her involved in a lot of other things, right? Kind of work with me on grant writing, on special projects, on uh, care coordinating, a lot of other things. And then when she got uh, on this master program and she told me, she said, Jen, 
Thank you so much for exposing me. At that time, it seems like you're so busy, you're gonna you work her. But then she's way ahead of her classmates, right? She knows she she knew a lot more, and so that kind of thing. That in in real life too, like in smaller company, you get to learn a lot more things. So I think I encourage young people while they're exploring, and so go into a smaller company is not a bad thing, you know. Like really go in there and 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 expose. To, to more more areas and then learn the skills and then get on a management position. Then you can decide whether you want to stay in a smaller company, continue the track, or you can move on to a, a, a larger company and it's, then you have options, right? So that I a think- A lot that- of, yeah, a lot of people are actually, you know, agreeing with you. And I like the way you say, it's like, you know, going into a smaller company so you can, you know, dip your toes in more areas. Cause you're, you're right. When you're working for a big prestigious company, you are just kind of in that role, right? It's really hard to work cross-functionally. Okay, so I wanna pivot a little bit and I wanna get into kind of the meat of this topic, which is women leadership. And I wanna call out the fact, you know what? The three of us, obviously we're Asian, right? We are minorities in the workplace. And, you know, I don't even wanna, you know, diminish the fact that, you know, it's hard. It's hard sometimes for folks. We're women, we're minorities, but yet we clearly, the three of us, I mean, we're very ambitious in our respective fields. I wanna ask the both of you, how have you navigated challenges of being a woman in the workplace and being a minority? Do you even think of it that way also? Or do you think, you know what, I'm just going to do darn good work, right? I'm just curious to get into your mind because yes, we're all women, Asian Americans, and actually we're all moms too. So we also have that as well. But I want to get your thoughts. I'm going to go with you first. And how do you approach that? How do you think about that? So I'm aware of it, but I see it as an advantage instead of a limitation or a disadvantage because most rooms I walk to, I'm the only something, right? And it's okay. It's just like my perspective is different. Um, And I see like my point. So this sounds weird, but every opportunity that I have and every room that I walk into where something of consequence is gonna be decided, it wears on my shoulders the fact that I'm also a role model. And as a role model, the decisions that I make are not just my decisions, but they're the decisions of everybody that look up to me. And will later be able to say, well, if she can do it, I can do it. If she can do it, I can do it. That is very important to me in everything that I do. So when I walk into a room, the fact that that is true for me gives me a natural arrogance. Instead of limiting me, it makes me say, I'm not just representing myself. I might not be a politician, but I have constituents and they expect me to succeed and I will succeed. And if you're in my way, well, I'm sorry. If the two of us are having a tough conversation, I will not be the one who leaves crying. (laughs) And I I just have to ask, because I think a lot of people will be so 
are just really admire that inner confidence that you have. Yeah. And trust me, I, I want to know how you do it too. How do you go in with that assertiveness and just that, like that? That? Oh. Oh, look, I'm going to give a lot of credit and her ears are going to be burning to Luzanne Fernandez. I, she became my mentor when I was a fifth year lawyer. So she really mentored me through learning how to be a partner and in our, in, in our field, learning to how to be an equity partner. There are very minority women in the equity partner ranks, which are the owners. Okay. You can be called a partner, but you're not an owner. Being an owner was a very important goal to me. Luzanne taught me, hey, if you're in a small group and somebody has to take notes and the men turn to you, just say no. So sure enough, my first partnership retreat, not at this firm, where we were in a small group. And again, I was the only only in the room. People turned to me and I said, oh, no, I'm not taking notes. Luzanne told me not to. And that really empowered me. And honestly, surrounding myself with inspiring women and advocates like Jan, give me a lot of strength. So I would say surround yourself with that and like just have the confidence. You're not just representing yourself. You're all of us when you go into those halls of power at those tables. And that should empower you to speak. Right. Because sometimes when we're just advocating for ourselves, we don't do that well. But if you go into every situation and you know your advocacy is not for yourself, but for everybody who's looking up to you, you will sit straighter and you will be more clear and strong. And I see that from Jan all the time. She's a big mentor and role model for me, honestly. <laughs> and I and I want to throw it to Jan. And I, I really love kind of the way you said it. It's like Sometimes it is hard for people to think about how to advocate for themselves, especially with that, you know, that Asian mentality of like, no, 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 you know, you just kind of do the work, right? But when you're saying that you're carrying all the people with you to be a role model, that can give you that power to really do it. So Jan, I want to get your thoughts on this. Do you ever feel like it could be a disadvantage, you know, as a minority, as a woman, or do you not even think of it that way? You're like, you know what, I'm here to make things happen? How do you approach it? I think different, when you asked the question, I kind of was thinking about a different stage of my career. I think it was different. I totally agree with Anne. If it's nowadays, you know, yes, I would go into any rooms. It doesn't matter who is in the room. <laughs> I, I would think that, you know, we're not a problem, right? Because we are, we, we, like like Anne said, I, I definitely think that being Asian at this point, it, it's our advantage, not disadvantage, actually, because we'll go in there, we will bring in different perspectives of, of leadership. And I, it's funny, though, I came from China, but for a long time, I didn't think about the thousands years of Chinese history, or oh, we have so many ancient leaders, that their wisdoms, all those things that could be, you know, very helpful to, to us as a leader nowadays. I, I didn't think of that for so long, honestly. But then lately, um, for the past few years as a CEO, in a sudden, that kind of hit me like a jam, you know, like, it's, it's, 
yes, you're in the United States, but all those thousands of years of Chinese culture, you went to school from kindergarten all the way to, to medical school in China. All those things that you learn from there, it actually, it, it, it can help you. So I started to really integrate both of the, um, the Eastern philosophy and the Western philosophy. And then kind of like when I walk into the boardroom or talk to the MEC, the medical executive team, it helped me a lot. So I'm mean, kind of like now in a sudden, I understand what, what is what they're thinking? Like our board members, the 16 men in the boardroom, right? I don't have any female uh, uh, board members in our boardroom. So in a sudden, I feel like I, I know what they're thinking. I know, I know what it takes to, to get them to understand what I'm talking about. And also for the physicians, right? Because this way, so you, you, you kind of like being a woman, I think we are a lot more holistic. And we, right, so we are more balanced. We are willing to create a win-win situation instead of just like, man, that I want to win, right? So we, we, we really often that we think about creating more win-win uh, situation. And then I think we are definitely more uh, empathetic. Like, you know, we can, we will think for the other side more. Another thing I think that we are a lot better uh, um, in the multitasking. And <laughs> as a mom, you have to do, you have to juggle all the sense, right? So right. not that I'm recommending that, but I think it, it, it as a leader, you, you almost have to do that, right? So like, do I think being a, a Asian woman, uh, you know, it, it's it's a barrier. Yes, at the beginning of your career, when you speak English with an accent, you already they, people already discounted you, right? Or your women leader, they think, oh, you'll be a good clinician. You speak multiple languages. You 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 know you you good. You know to be a nurse practitioner or to be a doctor or to be any you know in any other field too. You're good technician. Because you can do, uh, you hard work and you, um, uh, you know, you 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 take instructions very well. You never talk back, right? But if you want to be a, a a leader, then you kind of really need to find the point at that like right moment to speak up so people see you, right? And 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 you know nowadays your leaders, they're they're all your department heads or your executive leaders, they're busy. Hardly, they would be looking for someone, but then I would, I mean, I always do. I mean, like, as you see, who is good at what, right? Even my own kids, I would see like, hmm, this one is a more individual uh, a performer, would be good to be a doctor. The other one is like, really love to lead, right? And would be good in management and, and at work too. So I would constantly try to do that, but not not all leaders will do that, right? They're busy with their work. So mm -hmm. you kind of really need to make yourself visible at some point and then say, yes, I'm multilingual. It's good as a clinician. I'm really good as a manager too, or in leadership roles too, right? Somehow that you need to show that. I really like what Anne was saying. Volunteer yourself. Don't just look for something uh, like, it's not all about money, trust me. If you position yourself right, money will come. Right, Anne? Yeah, I never have worried. I've <laughs> yeah. never worried about the money. I'm worried about the what am I doing and do I want to be here? 
<laughs> so true. So, I, yeah. yeah, no, I, I would say I love what you said, John. And it's like, and I love how us women, like we all, there's like a bond too. I know there's some gentlemen on this call. We're very happy that you're here as an ally too. And, but I'm really happy to see there's so many different networks and association for women, women like us, just women in general who come together and just offer support to one another. So I actually do want to, which by the way, we've been chatting for over 40 minutes now. I feel like it's just flown by, but I want to get into um, some of the questions we've been getting in. This one I've been eyeing because I see it right here. And this is actually from Sharon Lowe. So Sharon, first of all, thank you so much for your question. So your question is, how do you respond to male colleagues or leaders who perceive confident female leaders as aggressive. Mm -hmm. So let me go to you, Anne, first. How, so, how do you navigate that? So I like to say no is a complete sentence, right? So <laughs> if I don't want to do something, I will say no and just stare at the person who literally cannot care what people are saying behind your back or thinking about you. And if someone thinks you're an aggressive woman, that reflects more on them than it does on you, right? You just keep doing you and you keep on advocating for yourself and those that you're advocating for. Look, I've had throughout the years, you know, there's always like coded statements about you that get made when you are an assertive woman but if you it's like if you uh i guess for you jessica the the statement would be don't read your own don't read the press about yourself right? <laughs> true so, yeah yeah because i can't think about that it's like what is my objective what is my goal i need to accomplish it and who am i accomplishing it for now that doesn't mean i think there's a people People like to talk about, well, you have a masculine leadership style. And I'm like, why does leadership have to be gendered? Right? <laughs> I mean, what does that even mean? When you lead, you should, you know, care about who you're leading. You should care not to hurt people's feelings. But sometimes you have to be very direct with people. And you have to just say, no, that doesn't make me comfortable. I am not doing that. I do not agree with you. Yeah. I need to correct what you just said. <laughs> These are okay things to say. <laughs> I see Connie, who's actually Connie Chow, who's in our uh, Soulcast Media membership. And she was like, you're too confident for me. And I need to learn more from you, which is true. And honestly, it's very admirable kind of how you go in. But you said it. You can't let what other people say about you bother you. You are too mission focused on getting things done to worry about all of the the crap, honestly, that people say, which people are going to say anyways. So yeah, there's too much going on. I mean, the other day, I apparently made a big life mistake because I volunteered to be the room mom at my uh, at my son's school. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do this law thing. I'm going to do this leadership thing. I'm going to do this nonprofit that Jan and I are going to found. But you know what? I'm going to be a room mom because I never miss field trips. I love that. Okay, <laughs> John, what are your thoughts on this? Of You know, women being seen as too aggressive. You know, it's, it's okay. Whatever other people view of you, you, you kind of really can't take it too seriously. It, 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 you know, if they say things about you, sometimes it's because you're ahead of them, they're jealous of you. So they will create all kinds of uh, things to try to 
kind of pull you back, right? That's one thing. On the other hand, though, you don't need to be aggressive to win, right? Because there's, uh, in, again, the Chinese uh, philosophy, water is soft, right? The rock, it's, it's hard. But guess what? Just water dripping on the rock over time, there's a hole on, on a rock, right? So meaning that women, we have our strength. Being uh, resilient, being, uh, we, you can be soft and win. Because that's all up to your wisdom. Like, how do you, how do you win, right? So you don't have to win with your fist. You can win with your your brain, right? So that's I often say that. And so I think a lot of times, then when you um, uh, try to win a situation or you're talking to your colleague, you don't have to fight, like you know, aggressively fighting. Uh, but we, what you can do is that you can smile and listen to what your colleague got to say first, and you ask them, are you done? Are you ready to hear my point of view, right? It's so hard for them to continue to say, to, to fight you. Sometimes it, you, you get really uh, upset and you want to fight back, right? Yeah. But it's better to take a step back, take a deep breath and listen to, even though you know that it's a whole bunch of crap, but still listen, right? When listen he's done, her, he's she's done. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, right. so, do you are you willing to hear my point of view now? So sometimes that you take a step back, and then, or sometimes it's okay to say. I always talk to my staff too. I'm sorry if I give you that impression that you know you're sorry doesn't mean you're at fault. Sometimes yeah. the people think that then when they say they're so I'm sorry, that means that you're at fault. It's not. When I'm say when I'm saying that I'm sorry for whatever situation, it's a situation, or I'm sorry for you are feeling that way, sure. right? It doesn't mean it's my fault. So that way then other side will feel like, oh, I, I, you know, like I really probably should back off a little too, right? So that, that then you create that, that situation that now you can have a calmly uh, a conversation, right? A lot of time it's a hard to hit people when you're smiling, right? Or it, it, it kind of really that sometimes that we can, as a woman, I think that we have it in us. Just find it, you know, like in that moment, like when you feel like a blowing up, especially in front of the kids, you're not going to blow up, right? Because yeah. you don't want your kid to see you that way. So that that's why it's in you. So take a step back and, and kind of work it out in a different way, it, it will work. And then you, you don't have to be real aggressive and win. At times, yeah, people do try to take advantage of women and they, 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 they talk over you and kind of thing. And then point it out too. Just say, do you realize that you're talking over me? Then people really kind of like calmly though, not pointing fingers and say, you, you're talking over me and kind of thing. Then you get into a fight. So you come down first and then you kind of like really, uh, you control the situation basically that, that I think that we can do that as a woman and, and um, we, we don't have that big ego, we have to win. And I think that often that I have to do that a lot, right? So like, you know, with the, uh, it, with physicians and all, all kind of thing, that's why you kind of sit back and really watch and smile and listen. And then and then later on, then you will see situations are totally different. I think it's really kind of what both of you said. It's like, you know, don't focus so much on that fear of like, oh, am I being too aggressive? Is it going to be too off-putting? You know, I think, knock on wood, I, I, I mean, I 
I'm optimistic about the fact that people are a lot more open-minded of the fact, like if they can see that, hey, yes, you may be a little bit more direct, but what you say is sound, they respect that, right? So I think just kind of going in with that mentality. I want to get to another question that we have from the audience. This one's from Wendy Lee, Zhao Wendy Lee. So when I, an Asian woman, propose a new idea, the leadership disagrees with me most of the time. But when my male colleagues propose the same idea in the same meeting, the leadership will now agree and say, that's a great idea. How do I address an issue like that? The issue is basically saying somebody else is taking credit for your idea. And go if you want to go first. So I guess I would love to break that down a little bit. So is the person taking credit after you have stated your idea? Or is it in different settings where, um, you know, you propose something in, in one setting, but then someone proposed something in a different setting that was the same, and they accepted the male's statement? So I guess I would, I would want to know a little more on that. But when I propose something, and I think it's the right thing, and it's not accepted, I need to sit back and think, why? Was it how I presented it? Mm -hmm. Was it, is the feedback valid? So in the moment when you're proposing something and it's not accepted, it's okay to say, hey, what, what about what I proposed do you, would you have liked to see differently? Mm-hmm. Is there any feedback that you would give me in terms of how you would like to see it? I guess my bottom line is it's not so much that you're not taking no for an answer. It's just that you're asking questions. Well, why not? What about this? What about that? Now, if you are in a situation where someone else is taking credit for your work you know it's very difficult to point that out in the minute in the moment because then you're going to seem like you're Mm -hmm. too sensitive right um and i don't say that in a negative way just be observant to that and if someone is a credit hog the one thing i don't think we women do a lot of times is you'll notice at the beginning of every meeting or every conversation, there's always a pause before things get started. I always jump in and start talking at the pause or before the pause. My story comes out first. My agenda comes out first. This is the purpose of this call. This is the purpose of this meeting. This is what I would like to present to you today. That's one way you can deal with someone that you know is going to hog your credit. Wait for that pause, right? Because sometimes the meeting will convene, everybody will be sitting down, and you know maybe the facilitator of the meeting will start. There is always a pause. Wait for the pause and make your booth. Love it. John, do you have anything to add about somebody taking your idea? How do you overcome something like that? Yeah, I, I agree with Anne, like you don't want to challenge in the meeting. It's going to sound like you guys are fighting, right? So it's it's not good whenever you get into a fighting. So I think it's okay after the meeting, then you go talk to uh, a business supervisor or the team leader and, and to say, calmly though, 
not to to accuse that why didn't you take mine it's the same right and you right. you 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 talk about it that is it the way so i i understand that i presented this to you that you didn't accept and then when you know so and so uh presented it's apparently it's the same idea then you said it was uh it was uh, in in a very friendly way just in a way that you want to learn, you want to improve next time, right? And just that, is it the way that I presented or was I not clear? I, I want to improve, you know, like in the future so I can do better. Can you please give me some advice? You know, that that way, I mean, you point it out in a way you, 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 you know, you let someone took my, my uh, credit, right? But without accusing him for doing right. that. And you, you give, him or her the steps to walk down to save face basically right and then on the other hand you also tell him that I'm aware of this and I'm willing to learn from you yeah I now I need advice from you that that I think would be a more positive way to to approach. I love that that's a great approach it's like you're letting them know it was your idea but you're acknowledging like hey what do you think I can do to better present my idea next time so that now they understand oh yeah, that's right. It was your idea. So you're also getting them to acknowledge that too. Okay. I have to say we are almost out of time and I feel like there's actually so many questions that we actually got, but I want to just kind of end on this note and maybe there is, maybe there is no right answer to this, but somebody asked, how do you balance motherhood with your career? This is always a question. How do you balance being a mom and being a career driven woman? Uh, and why don't you go first with this one um, as we kind of it's, close out this talk? Yeah, it, it's really hard. And I have to say that just as with other women, like my husband is my biggest ally and my biggest supporter in that. I have rarely had to turn down anything that I wanted to do because he's the first one to say, you know, go do go be you go. And he's like, I'm not jealous. Like I support your success. That's the guy you want to marry. I support your success. Right. Um, because otherwise it's very difficult. And he does a lot of the like tasks that would normally be quote unquote gendered. He does them. He like, it was funny because he, he's taken a step back from his career to help support mine. And um, this is a funny story. We were uh, filling out an application and it said, what is your occupation? And I was like, I think you're a homemaker. <laughs> He's like, no, aren't I a domestic? I'm like, no, you're a homemaker. That's a real job. It's so valuable that I support him. He supports me and just big shout out. I cannot do it. I cannot do it. Gian, what are your thoughts on balancing? <laughs> I think we're lucky. Uh, I, I, I for one too. My husband's very supportive. I never at any point of my career said, let me go back talk to my husband to see whether I can go to anything. I always say, yes, I'll, I'll make it happen. You know, it's kind of, kind of thing. And then, uh, I mean, you can hire a nanny. And mm -hmm. I was at one time, uh, at one point that 
uh, I, my husband was tra travel a lot and I had two kids, two young kids. I dropped them off, one in preschool, one in, in, in kindergarten and then go to work and then pick them up one after the other. It, 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 it's a workable, really it's workable. And you, you hire nanny to, to help, right? So yes, I, I was very, very clear that I, I want my career. I, I will not, you know, can, I will be a good mom too. I'm like, I, uh, also my kids now, they, they in college, when graduate from college, you know, it's fine. So, so it's, it's doable. Let me share one positive moment. I think that to show you that it, it actually worked, right? So when I worked full time and then, and also went back to my doctorate, a uh, uh, degree, you know, like I went, went back to, to study for my doctorate degree. And then so when I studied, I came, came back to, from work and started, you know, had dinner and started working on my homework. Then Melinda, my daughter, came to join me who worked on her homework. And then my son, who finished his homework already at school, he brought a, a guitar. He was playing guitar while Melinda and I was do, were doing our homework. And here you go. I left my head. I saw my husband videotaping us doing, you know, like working together. So it was a really a positive uh, role model and talk about earlier, I think to our kids. That way they see, I never told my kids that you have to go to uh, graduate school, but they automatically plan for graduate school, right? Because they did all their application for everything. And, and, and I, you know, didn't even want me to be part of their application or anything. So you can be really a positive role model to your kids when you work hard, when you work uh, up on your career, it, it doesn't have to be a barrier to your family uh, life, really. You know, we, people talk about balance, work-life balance. It, it actually, I think it's more like integration of both. You can do it. That. Yeah, really, yeah. It, it's, it's doable. It's yeah. an integrated model. It's not yeah. a balance. Yeah. I yeah. love that. I yeah. mean, I have to lean on Anne and John, both of you, because I'm a new mom, right? So I, my son is nine months old and I'm figuring out what does it mean, right? To be a working mom while also be a mom. And you don't I, need I, to I, sleep as much as you thought. That's what I think you'll learn. I can't function with four hours of sleep. Um, but I, I, I do have to echo like my, my husband is very, very supportive as well. But also, you know, it's having a, a, a community to help too, right? It, it would be almost impossible for me to even be here with you amazing ladies if I didn't have help with, with my son too. So, you know, kudos to kind of the network that makes it happen. So at this point, I want to say thank you to you both for joining me. I had an absolute amazing time just chatting with you. And for all the folks who've stayed on this entire time listening to our chat, I'm hoping you all took away some golden nuggets as you think about your own career, as you navigate challenges, which all of us face challenges in the workplace. Anne and Jen, how can, be, how can people get connected with you if they have further questions? Um, they can look us up. I mean, I'm a Bruda, A-R-U-D-A at bzbm.com. If you need any, you know, career advice or whatever, you know, 
I mean, don't email me if you're a weirdo, but if you're normal and you just want to, you know, ask me some questions and follow up, I'll be happy to talk to you. <laughs> I love that. And I'm sure LinkedIn as well, Jan, how, how can people get connected with you? Yeah, I think through LinkedIn would be good. Or you can send your questions to uh, Jessica, Jessica and forward to me too. Sure. And I think that, yeah. I, I, yes, I will help. I love uh, to help uh, young people, young leaders. And uh, that's what I have been doing, actually. Yeah. So thank you both for taking the time to join me today. For those who are here, um, we shared a lot of really great tips. Here at Soulcast Media, we have our VIP communications pass. You can see it here on your screen. We basically just take all the tips that we share. We, get, we basically organize it for you. So check out the VIP communications pass because it could be great if you attend a lot of our Soulcast Media live events. So, and Dr. Jan Zhang, I want to thank you both for being here. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're inspired to begin improving your communications confidence, well, we'd love to help. Join our monthly communications membership where I teach a brand new communications workshop every single month. Or become a VIP member to access our best communications articles for life. Or maybe get one-on-one coaching with one of our board of communicators. We offer so many ways for you to learn and it's all housed on our website, soulcastmedia.com. Check it out and happy communicating.